and welcome. In our recent Global Bank Review, we took a closer look at how banks are broadening their appeal to a new generation of consumers, but doing that whilst grappling with increased regulatory expectations around customer protection. It's a tricky combination that needs careful consideration. In this podcast, we will focus in on the second of these themes, delving deeper into the world of virtual assets and customer protection. My name is Hannah Cassidy, and I'm a partner based in Hong Kong, focusing on financial services regulation. I'm delighted to be joined by Charlotte Henry in Australia and Marina Reason in London. Charlotte. Thanks, Hannah. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Charlotte Henry, a regulatory partner here in Australia, focusing on the bank sector. Marina. Thanks, Charlotte. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Marina Reason, and I'm a partner in the London Financial Services Practice, specialising in regulation, uh, and my focus is on wholesale and retail banks. Let's delve deeper into a highly topical world, virtual assets. We've seen the collapse of FTX and other crypto firms prompt further thinking about what level of regulation is appropriate to strengthen investor protection whilst encouraging banks to innovate and evolve. Marina, how should regulators be managing that sort of long-standing challenge of balancing promotion of innovation whilst at the same time upholding good standards of consumer protection? Thanks, Anna. So I'll cover both the UK and the EU approach in this. Starting with the EU, Dealing and providing services in relation to crypto assets is not regulated in the EU at the moment as a kind of pan-European level, except in respect of anti-money laundering, uh, and unless the crypto assets are such that they are already um, amount to a regulated product under the EU um, regulatory framework, for example, a MIFID product or an e-money or an insurance product. So to address the gap in regulation of crypto assets, the EU Uh, is finalising a pan-European regulation called Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation, uh, otherwise known as MECA, and that should be completed within the next couple of months. MECA will create a legal framework for crypto assets across Europe, uh, and it will cover crypto assets which are not covered by other uh, legislation in Europe. And it will apply to crypto asset issuers as well as intermediaries. So, for example, crypto wallet providers operators of crypto trading platforms and those offering cryptocurrency exchange dealing and advisory services. These intermediaries are referred in MECA as crypto asset service providers um, or CASPs for short. MECA will regulate the issuance and offering of most tokens to the public in the EU. It will create an EU-wide authorization regime with prudential and conduct rules for CASPs. It is fairly comprehensive in terms of the type of products it seeks to regulate, but it does carve out DeFi and truly non-fungible NFTs. However, we know that there's already talk of a Mika 2, and that will probably capture those products which are currently out of scope. A final draft of Mika was published in October last year, following a long trilogue process. Uh, but we are still waiting for the final approvals from the EU co-legislators. We think MECA will be approved by the European Parliament in mid-April, followed by an approval from EU Council, and the earliest MECA would become law would be around mid-June this year. Some of MECA's provisions will then apply 12 months after that, 
so from mid 2024. The rest will apply six months after, towards the end of 2024 or early 2025. What about the UK? It's taken a very different approach to the to Europe, uh, at least uh, until now, and there is a lot going on in the space. The UK government has adopted a phased approach, which it sees as proportionate, responding to risks as it arises. So as part of phase one, the government is currently legislating uh, under the Financial Services and Markets Bill I mentioned earlier for a regime enabling fiat-backed stablecoins used for payments and it will seek to regulate those similarly to other payment methods. The regime will address issuance and custody activities relating to fiat-backed stablecoins and payment-related activities involving these. It will also cover at minimum um, uh, uh, pounds, so GBP, and other fiat-backed stablecoins which are issued in the UK. And we're expecting the bill to be passed in the next few weeks. Once the bill is passed, there will be a consultation on how the fiat-backed stablecoins regime will operate. Phase two will be broader and it will seek to cover broader swathe of um, crypto activities. In February this year, Treasury published its consultation and call for evidence on the regulation of phase two crypto assets. This will cover digital assets that are not stablecoins and um, those that are not already regulated, such as e-money or traditional uh, financial instruments, such as shares, bonds, or units in funds, derivative, uh, derivatives, etc. The consultation was long awaited and much anticipated, as it finally reveals how the UK government intends to manage the challenge of balancing promotion of innovation, whilst at the same time upholding good standards of consumer protection. It also sets the HMT stall on the degree to which it will follow the approach in EU's MECA. And I think the answer is it will follow it quite closely, surprisingly so closely, although there are some important divergences that are emerging, uh, but that's a topic for another day. Can you outline its scope? The scope of the UK proposal is very broad. The definition of crypto assets, um, as set out in the Financial Services and Markets Bill, is deliberately wide and captures um, a very broad spectrum of crypto assets, including cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and in contrast to Mika NFTs. Intermediaries which provide crypto asset activities in or to the UK in relation to crypto assets will be within scope. So this overrides the traditional approach in the UK in terms of characteristic performance test and territoriality. Um, the activities will include custody services, exchange activities, so operating crypto trading venue, investment activities, which for now only includes trading and arranging, but will potentially in the future include advising and portfolio management, and it also includes lending, borrowing and leverage activities. There will also be an issuance and disclosure regime, which will apply to anyone issuing crypto assets. The UK government is also asking for views on various topics before the next round of consultation in the crypto space. Um, this will include DeFi and other areas. And the government is also consulting on changes to the financial promotion regime. So a lot going on uh, in the UK and Europe. Over to you, Hannah. Thank you. That's really helpful context. And as you say, huge amount of movement and development in the UK and Europe. Charlotte, with that in mind, what is the direction of travel in Australia? Thanks, Hannah. 
So under the previous government, there was a multi-year Senate committee inquiry with the aim of ensuring that Australia remained an attractive jurisdiction for fintechs. It explored a range of initiatives, including options for licensing those who custody digital assets, uh, and also potentially being one of the first countries in the world to recognise DAOs and how they should be regulated under Australian law. The final report from the inquiry made a number of recommendations, including that the Australian government, through Treasury and with input from other relevant regulators and experts, um, conduct a token mapping exercise to determine the best way to characterise the various types of digital asset tokens in Australia. In other words, uh, sorry, in addition, another recommendation was to establish um, a custody or depository regime for digital assets with minimum standards under a Treasury portfolio. So in March last year, so 2022, the Treasury released a consultation paper seeking views on several proposals, including um, mandatory minimum principles-based custody obligations for private keys that are held or stored by crypto asset secondary service providers on behalf of customers, commonly known here as CASPERS, similar to the EU. However, this consultation didn't proceed because the new government uh, came uh, into force. Despite this, the Treasury has stated that the Australian government will propose a framework for custody and licensing for public comment mid this year, so mid-2023. In addition, the current government, the new government, um, are committed to undertake this token mapping exercise. Um, and this is actually, the government's actually finished their uh, first phase. In February, they produced a report cataloguing uh, the digital assets into buckets uh, and consulted with the market on those. Um, it proposed a token mapping framework that relies on three key concepts, tokens, token systems, and functions, uh, which can be applied to crypto assets and to products and services that use or rely on crypto assets. What else did the paper propose? The paper also proposed a very high-level taxonomy of four product types that can be grouped under the two kinds of token systems, intermediated token systems and public token, public token systems, and discuss the process for assessing crypto products against the functional perimeter. The government stated that regulation of parts of the sector will be introduced next year, so 2024, but we do not know yet um, what form it will take and who it will apply to and how it will sit alongside our very well-established existing regime for regulating those digital assets which are financial products under existing laws. So that's the current state of play. In terms of what the regulators have been doing, <clears throat> ASIC, Australia's conduct regulator, um, is getting concerned, I think it's fair to say, in relation to crypto. With the volatility in the market in 2022, um, a number of crypto exchanges collapsed in Australia. Uh, and However, they've been a little bit hesitant about acting more broadly without a clear legislative program from the government. So extensively, sorry, and so instead they have undertaken the following action. They already have an existing regime for marketing of unregulated financial products namely ensuring that they are not misleading or deceptive. And they've surveyed the market and they've taken down any marketing campaigns that they consider did not meet this standard. They've also attacked celebrity influencers, so um, so-called influencers, um, by reissuing previous guidance aimed at firms using such influencers. Uh, and due to the risks of celebrity endorsement um, and brought court proceedings against a influencer. And they've updated and reissued their guidance in relation to digital assets to assist the market understand when a digital asset will be considered to be a regulated financial product and also guidance on how to spot crypto scams. They've issued guidance regarding ET, ETFs and exchange traded products um, that have underlying crypto assets. 
They've also actively reviewed financial products offered by crypto exchanges and conducted supervisory work with them um, when it considers that their products are regulated financial products. And they've recently taken cases too. They suspended FTX's uh, license after it entered voluntary administration in Australia. They issued stop orders, preventing particular entities from offering funds to retail clients um, in Australia that had crypto in, in the fund. Uh, they've also included misconduct involving high-risk products such as crypto assets as one of their top eight core strategic priorities for 2023. And finally, as I mentioned before, they've started to bring court proceedings against crypto exchanges. Can you tell us about those court proceedings? The first was in April 2022. It was against cryptocurrency lender Helio, uh, the claim being that they falsely claimed that it held an Australian credit licence uh, when it did not. Um, and then uh, the next one was in relation to Block Earner. That was in November last year, uh, alleging they provide unlicensed financial services in relation to the crypto asset-based products that they operated and also that they operated an unregistered managed investment scheme, a type of fund. Um, and then finally, in December, they filed court proceedings against Finder Wallet uh, for allegedly providing unlicensed financial services, as well as breaching product disclosure requirements and not complying with our version of product governance, so design and distribution obligations. <clears throat> Separate from ASIC, um, and to finish, um, APRA has also been quite active. APRA is our bank regulator. They've issued guidance setting out their expectations um, that banks will take a prudent approach if they're undertaking activities associated with crypto assets uh, and, and ensure that any risks are well understood and well managed before launching material new initiatives. In addition, they're developing a longer term prudential framework for crypto assets and related activities in Australia in consultation with other regulators internationally to ensure consistency and approach, for example, aligned to the Basel Committee's international standard on the prudential treatment for bank exposures to crypto assets. And in the period ahead, they intend to consult on the requirements for this particular prudential treatment of crypto assets, so to be aligned to the Basel Committee's current consultation. Uh, and they're expecting to release their interim expectations in April, so next month. They're also going to be progressing new and revised requirements for operational risk management, covering control effectiveness, business continuity, and service provider management. While these apply to the entirety of the bank's operations, many will be directly relevant to the management of operational risks associated with crypto asset activities. The draft prudential standard for this was released at a consultation in mid-2022. And finally, they're considering possible approaches to the prudential regulation for payment stablecoins. These stablecoin arrangements bear similarities with stored value facilities, which are regulated here. So in conjunction with peer agencies on the Council of Financial Regulators, they're developing options for incorporating them into a proposed regulatory framework for stored value facilities. What about CBDCs? Australia's central bank, the RBA, um, has continued their focus on CBDCs, consistent with the rest of the world. They have been partaking in the wholesale market CBDC pilot program, which I know we've, we've talked about before, uh, but in relation, uh, that's with Singapore and South Africa and Malaysia and others. Um, but in last year, um, for the first time in Australia, they launched a pilot looking at the use case um, for a retail CBDC. Um, they launched that in conjunction with the Digital Finance Cooperative Research Centre uh, and released a white paper. Uh, and there are a large variety of stakeholders have been participating in that. 
uh, and that's sought to um, determine whether or not um, Australia should launch an EAUD. Over to you, Hannah. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Charlotte. I think it's sort of an overarching theme that we're seeing across the board is uh, around customer protection. It's really front and centre for the regulators. Um, the regulators, though, themselves are trying to develop new rules, but in a way that encourages banks and others to actively participate in uh, blockchain or, or sort of virtual asset related activities. How about in Asia? It's a very similar situation in Asia. The MAS in Singapore sees the most promising applications of digital assets in financial services in cross-border payments and settlement, trade finance and pre and post-trade capital markets activities. However, the MAS strongly discourages and seeks to restrict speculation in cryptocurrencies and is considering further measures to reduce consumer harm. In 2022, it published guidelines restricting digital payment token service providers from promoting cryptocurrency services at public spaces. And in October 2022, the MAS proposed measures to reduce risks to consumers from digital payment token trading and enhanced standards of stablecoin related activities. The proposed measures cover three broad areas, consumer access, business conduct and technology risks. Over in Hong Kong, um, the SFC and the HKMA have been very busy. Early last year, they published updated guidance on uh, VA related activities in response to really an increasing number of inquiries from traditional FIs about distributing VA related products. The guidance is very detailed and focuses on investor protection issues arising from a variety of activities. So distribution of VA related products, provision of VA dealing services and provision of VA advisory services. So the guidance covers existing but also new requirements relating to a range of um, topics. In particular, there's a requirement uh, in many scenarios to assess whether a VA related product is complex. And if it is, then you'll be subject to additional requirements and those products should only be offered to professional investors. There's a real focus on uh, banks assessing a customer's knowledge of VAs. There are the usual suitability obligations and there is also a suite of enhanced warning statements and risk disclosures that should be included. In December 2022, the SFC issued a statement in which it wanted to highlight that um, certain VA arrangements claiming to offer returns to investors could amount to what we call collective investment schemes or effectively a sort of pooled investment structure and as such may be restricted under our local securities legislation, the SFO. Now, the SFC in that circular warned that investors may suffer significant loss as a result of these VA arrangements and that a lot of the VA platforms that offer those arrangements are actually unregulated. Is there a big development we should look out for? Now, the big development for this year is going to be the introduction of a new licensing regime for, and we call them virtual asset service providers or VASPs. It's a bit different from, I think, the CASPs in, um, over in Europe. 
But this VASP regime is going to focus on AML and investor protection. The SSC has, as part of this new regime, just very recently launched a consultation on the proposed requirements for operators of those VA trading platforms. Now, effectively, all centralised VA trading platforms that are carrying on business in Hong Kong or actively marketing to Hong Kong investors will need to be licensed by the SSC. And adopting the sort of um, a universal principle of same business, same risks, same rules, the proposed requirements are based on requirements um, that you'll find in the sort of the existing regime for securities um, firms. And they're comparable to those for licensed securities brokers and automated trading venues. What areas do the requirements cover? So the requirements cover sort of key areas such as um, safe custody of assets, KYC, conflicts of interest, cybersecurity, accounting and auditing, risk management, AML, and the prevention of market misconduct. Now, as part of the consultation, the SFC is seeking views on whether to allow licensed platform operators to serve retail investors, um, provided sufficient guardrails and investor protection measures are introduced. And those guardrails would include the following. So only allowing retail clients access to what we call eligible large cap VAs, um, i.e. VAs which are included in at least two acceptable indices issued by at least two independent index providers. Platform operators would also need to ensure suitability uh, in onboarding retail clients. The SSC has also issued guidance on authorization requirements for VA futures exchange traded funds, um, including additional requirements relating to disclosure and investor education. All of this is signaling a greater acceptance of um, VA products, VA related activities, um, and also uh, an acceptance of sort of more straightforward tokenized securities. And the SSC has also signalled that it will issue further guidance and a proposed regime for security token offerings. And do you have any last thoughts? And then finally, um, the MA published earlier this year its conclusions to a discussion paper it published last year on crypto assets and stable coins. Um, effectively, there is public support for the regulation of stable coins. Um, any further consultation with more granular information about what that regime might look like will be conducted with a view to implementing the regime by 2023 to 2024. It's clear that these issues are complex and can be tricky to navigate. Thank you to Charlotte and Marina for joining me today and for their very interesting insights. We'd encourage you to get in touch with any of us to discuss any of these matters further. If you are interested in learning more about the other key issues facing our bank clients, you can find a link in the podcast to a number of HSF resources, including our flagship campaign, The Global Bank Review. Please do look out for the other podcasts in our Global Bank Review series available on iTunes, SoundCloud and all good podcast platforms. Thanks for listening and bye for now.